You're listening to WJMF Radio, the beat of Bryant. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to Down to the Wire. I'm Brian Costa. And I'm Zeke Kransdorf. And we hope you guys are having a great afternoon today, great evening. Uh, we have got an amazing show in store for you. Now, if you guys just heard, I am, you know, I mentioned it on my last show, I'm back on Bryant's campus again for another two years. I'm doing my grad school here. So last show I had Ethan Mulder on. He was a familiar guest. And today I have the privilege of welcoming, of welcoming back yet another guest to the show who has made many appearances before mr zeke kranzdorf the the voice of the bryant bulldog zeke welcome back to the show thank you uh thank you so much for having me back i always love being guest on down to the wire um i always love taking it down to the wire so absolutely. thank you thank you absolutely zeke glad to, glad to have you back today we're going to discuss a lot of uh storylines going on in the nfl mostly with the patriots and then discuss uh, some MLB news as well. There's going to be some college football talk. I know mixed in as uh, mixed in as well. There Zeke's going to lead that, but uh, to start off, we're going to break things down in the NFL where uh, a lot of people on the Patriots, uh, you know, Patriots fans were shocked yesterday when they found out the news that backup quarterback Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham were both cut by the Patriots on the, on the certified cut down day teams needed to get down to 53 men on the rosters before four o'clock. And it was decided that backup quarterback Bailey Zappi and quarterback slash wide receiver Malik Cunningham were going to be on one of those names sent out of town. Now, they have since been brought back on the practice squads, but they at one point were exposed to the rest of the league and they could have been picked up on waivers by any team. Now, Zeke, this is obviously a pretty crazy move based on the fact that just a couple of months ago, Bailey Zappi was arguably battling Mac Jones for his job and for his job as the starting QB. And now he's on the practice squad, and Mac Jones is the only quarterback on the on the on the current fifty on uh, fifty three man roster. What are your thoughts on all this? You know, honestly, what that move really speaks to me about is it's a move by the front office to sort of say this is our guy. Mm-hmm. There's no no doubt in anyone's mind now they're going with Mac Jones. It, I mean, if you're the only quarterback on the roster, you have you yeah. know, the whole. I mean, there's no one who can compete for your job. I mean, exactly. it's not it's not like Julian Edelman or Jacoby Myers who had that previous experiences back there to help you. Like it's you, man. There, there is no doubt in Mac Jones's mind he is the guy right now. Yeah, and that that the whole the way that I see it is it's a confidence move. 100%. It's showing that the Patriots have confidence in Mac Jones that he's gelling with uh, Bill O'Brien's offense that everything is going to be running smoothly. Yeah, which I can which I tend to agree with as well. And based on it, if you have been, if you had been watching, um, you know the preseason games and and seeing the things in camp, Mac Jones easily had the advantage over Zappy. He seemed to, you know, understand the offense well. And there were moments where Zappy just was not, you know, complete was just completely falling apart as uh, the leader of that team. I mean, there's now the infamous viral clip of O'Brien chewing out Zappy on the sidelines. I was hearing some guys on Boston Sports Talk uh, discuss that today. So. There seems to be some issues there. Do you think O'Brien had some sort of a play in this uh, in this decision? I mean, it's possible. You know, I'm not going to rule it out of the realm of possibility. But if you just looked at, you know, if you're watching the preseason games, you got a chance uh, not to see Mac Jones nearly as much. But we got to see a, a very, you know, hefty amount of Bailey Zappi. Yeah. And he didn't really do that much to really show uh, as much promise as he did last season. Mm-hmm. You know, when... They had the super simplified offense for him. Yes, he excelled, but, uh, you know, 
you can't exist off a super simplified rookie offense for very long in the National Football League and expect to keep on winning. So, hundred percent. If if you if you look at it through that lens and show, you know, what have you done for me recently? That's what the NFL is. So, mm-hmm. what have you done for me recently? Kind of league. Bailey Zappi, all preseason long, was really struggling, and the offense looked kind of anemic uh, in those preseason games. Yeah, and I mean, listen, I guess that when you see a guy play as you know, play a significant amount of time as Zappi did in that final preseason game, that's usually the game where a lot of guys are fighting for their jobs, and many of them aren't going to have some come the end of that fourth quarter. So, uh, it might have been a sign seeing him out there, but. I mean, just to have no quarterbacks on this roster, I know that, you know, when Zappi was initially cut and there were, you know, talks that maybe some other teams would be in on him, um, the Patriots were linked to the Patriots were linked to like a Colt McCoy who had just been cut from the Cardinals. So, or maybe getting a Brian Hoyer back in the building. So to get that veteran presence back. But I mean, you expose this guy to the rest of the league. They did not, they, they essentially didn't want him for, you know, enough to really put him on that roster spot. So they exposed him the rest of the league and uh, luckily they got him back. But yeah, it's just crazy how quickly I think can uh, change. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of the fans were sort of divided. They wanted, they wanted Bailey Zappi. Uh, well, I mean, he's a starter for some of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was the feel good story. Like, I mean, you date back to last year, Mac Jones had all the moments when he was yelling at Matt Patricia on the sidelines, talking about the quick game, talking about how, he, how everything was pissing yeah. him off. And you had Bailey Zappi step in um, in what was a terrible situation against the Packers where Brian Hoyer goes down with a concussion and they just had to thrust out Zappi and say, all right, with whatever primitive knowledge you have of the offense, we're going to have you just try to do your best. And, you know, he succeeded for what it was worth. They ended up falling short uh, towards the end of the game and in overtime. But, um, you know, he did his job in that game. And then, you know, you, you go to the Detroit game and then the Cleveland game. He looked pretty great. And then well, then I think the icing on top that, you know, sent people completely over the moon was the uh, Chicago Bears oh, game. Yeah, the Chicago game. Where Mac Jones starts the game, looks horrible. I mean, he probably shouldn't no, yeah. have played the game anyway. Anyways, he still looked apparently hurt. And they decide to put Zappy in the game and on back-to-back drives throws incredible touchdown passes. And it, it was just like, are we watching the second coming right now? Is this like the next, like the next version of the Tom Brady story, Him, like uh, the late round pick taking over for the high prize first round quarterback. I thought it made all of us think we were seeing it in real time. And then it just completely got a race. Cause that bears game got out of hand for everyone. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I try to, I try my best to forget that bears game ever happened. <laughs> you know, that was the last win that the bears had all season long. Uh, um, But I feel like we wanted Bailey Zappi to be that sort of second coming to Tom Brady when in reality it was never going to be the case. It's never going to be that. I think I think the reason a lot of us also, you know, part of the reason I kind of had um, and wanted to root for Zappi. I mean, listen, I think that Mac does possess more talent than him. I think that, you know, he, you know, physically has a higher ceiling. But I liked the idea of Zappi at least being on the active roster to push Mac Jones because it was going to make him think, hey, my job isn't secure here. I need to go out and prove myself every single day because this guy's right behind me and the fans are clamoring for him. So if I'm not, you know, on my A game going out there and competing, my job could be on the line. And that that sort of raises another uh, another point in my book where it's the fans, right? Yeah. When the fans, the fans were chanting the for Zappi when, when he was in that Bears game. So openly calling for him, openly calling for your backup. That doesn't, you know, 
football, as much as it is a physical game, it's also a mental game. Yeah, he wasn't, Mac Jones wasn't just getting booed. They were making chance for the backup quarterback. So if you're looking at this move, it's not just, you know, a normal roster move. I feel like it's a move to sort of help sort of re-inspire confidence in Mac Jones. Because sure. last year he, he looked a little rattled, yeah. you know, a piss poor offense, really. Uh, oh, I mean, all, listen, all the schemes were. I mean, listen, terrible. If you want to tell, if you want to talk about like the position Mac Jones was in, it was a horrible one. I mean, Matt Patricia had no right to be near that offense, and I had so many gripes with him last year. I remember I was yelling just like vehemently at my uh, at my co-host Tyler Stringfellow talking about like uh, when Patricia decided to bench Kendrick Bourne at, at, after missing one practice, and he was in his doghouse. And I said, Matt Patricia had no right to even have a doghouse in the first place, let alone yeah. put Kendrick Bourne in it. Because when Kendrick Bourne was on the field for that team last year, he was great. Yeah, he, he was an AFC Offensive Player of the Week the, the, the week he finally played against the Bengals. He was that dynamic. And they decided the very next week they were facing the Dolphins. They were like, nope, we're going to shut your ass down again. It was like, what are you doing? It 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 made no sense. But no. to sort of get back to the Mac Jones Bailey Zappy thing, if the fans are chanting for him and it makes it feel like he's not wanted there, mm-hmm. you know, that's gonna that's gonna affect the psyche of your quarterback. And you don't want a 100%. quarterback whose mind isn't all the way there, who's getting distractions from off the field. That's that's not what you want. No, I mean, I look at this move in a similar light to when the Patriots, uh, you know, when they released Cam Newton at the end of uh, at the end of the preseason and they and they designated Mac Jones as the starter. They said, listen, there was some discrepancy like, you know, Cam Newton was on that team for a second year in the preseason. We were seeing a little bit of him and then Mac Jones would come in and, you know, we were seeing some of the we were seeing some of the early flashes from him. And we were like, hey, let's just get this guy the job. Let's not. Let's stop like the whole show of like, oh, Cam has to play three, four weeks and then maybe he gets hurt or he doesn't do so good. And then and then Jones has to fill in and then he proves himself like that. They were like, no, he's just going to start from the jump week one, throw him out there. And that's what they did. And I think it was for the better because he had a good rookie year. People will forget about that just because of how bad last year was. But he had a good rookie year. And outside of Jamar Chase, he had a chance to be the rookie of the year. At least offensively. Yeah, yeah. Offensively, I mean, listen, Jamar Chase caught fire his rookie year. There was no one that was going to catch him. But let's say you could, like, Thanos snap Jamar Chase out of the league and sure. he didn't exist. You know, that Mac Jones would have been that rookie of the year. There yeah. was no one that was really close, in my opinion, that could have challenged him for it. Yeah, it, yeah. Like, that, that was the maybe whole... Jalen Waddle, maybe, maybe, but like, but but I, really. but, I, but I think you like listen, Jamar Chase when he was in when his rookie year had a stellar rookie season. Like yeah. I, I can't even describe to you how great he was. Jalen Waddle, he was he was fine. Like he was but you oh, yeah, tell- I was saying if you snap Jamar out of there. But the but, only but yeah, no, but 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 what I was gonna say is Jalen Waddle, like he didn't have a Jamar Chase level rookie year. Yeah. It wasn't to that level. Like he's got up he's gotten up there now in like his second year or so, but it wasn't like that from the jump. So if you were to take Jamar Chase out of the league and you had to decide between a Jalen Waddle who's kind of developing and then a quarterback, you're going to probably go with the quarterback if you were a vote yeah, in that yeah, situation. Yeah. So that was my that was my thoughts with that. But yeah, you it, it's a very similar thing to the Cam Newton situation where I'm not saying that Bailey Zappi has the accolades of Cam Newton or anything like that. Obviously not. But there was some idea of competition there to where it was like, all right. If we if the if this guy's on the roster, are people going to say, all right, is Cam should Cam come in in the situation if Max starts to struggle? And they were like, we're not even going to think about that. We're going to cut Cam. He's not going to be part of the organization. They didn't even bring him back back on like a practice squad thing. And they said, all right, Mac, this is your team. And I think they're doing that again. 
because when they did it the first time, it proved to be a good shot of confidence, and he went out there and he balled out. So I'm it's hopeful that you know under this Bill O'Brien offense, it's similar enough to I think what Josh McDaniels run to what Josh McDaniels ran his rookie year, and you know you hope to you hope to replicate that success. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's what it's all about, really. Mm-hmm. But also, you do have uh, some some worries there. Only having one quarterback on the roster, especially. Can we touch on the offensive line for a little bit? Yeah, we'll touch on. We'll, I'll touch on that with you in just a second. Okay. But I but I want to stick with uh I want to st- stick with Mac and all that just for a moment. So I I know you mentioned the quarterback situation. I do think that I'm pretty sure the NFL this year reworked their emergency quarterback yeah. rule. So, you know, it kind of had to, you know, you had mentioned it goes back to the what happened with the 49ers, you know, down the stretch in the NFC championship game and things like that. So there were some guys that weren't active and able to play and whatnot. But I think that you can still have an emergency quarterback and they don't need to be like on the 53 man like they can dress and they can be at the game. And it's almost just like, yeah, if Mac, if Mac goes down, you can put like Zappy or whoever in and then, you know, deal with it as it goes. It's You have like it's a weirder rule now. Yeah, it's it's definitely it definitely gives organizations a little more leeway. Yeah. Um. So I don't, I don't hate the idea of only having one quarterback rostered, just because you have you're able to fill out the rest of the roster as best as you because, possibly because can. Because I because I believe you can still, I believe Zappy can still dress. Yeah. You can still dress him, and he can still go out there. Now, I mean, the the question then just becomes like, oh, if it if it becomes like a blowout game, like one way or the other, do you still want to have Mac Jones out there with the threat of him getting hurt? That is up for debate still as to whether you want to do that. So I don't know if you have to have a phantom injury or something like that have to happen for Mac to get out of the game, but yeah, I'm not sure how, but, but that's neither here nor there. Let's just assume like normal games, you know, Mac has to play all four quarters. So that that's the idea there. So maybe that, maybe this is one of those things where people are like, Oh, Bill's playing chess, not checkers, like blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, but yeah, Mac Jones, He's in his third year, Zeke. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at what a lot of these quarterbacks are getting on the open market now. Daniel Jones just got an absolute bag from the Giants. And Mac Jones, you know, you're getting towards the end of that rookie contract. And the Patriots are going to the Patriots are going to be at a crossroad here. It's going to be, do we really want to invest the millions of dollars that, you know, these quarterbacks are now getting on the open market? And not even like the high price, not even like the Patrick Mahomes or the Josh Allens or the Justin or the Justin Herberts of the world. Daniel Jones is great, but he's not at that level, but he's still got a lot of freaking money. What do you need to see from Mac Jones this year to warrant the Patriots keeping him for that on that kind of a contract for the future? I would need to see not just a return to his rookie form, Mm -hmm. but showing uh, some improvement from that. Like if he gets back to where he was as a rookie, that's good. We're moving back in the right direction, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that that itself would warrant that, you know, big money contract or a big contract extension or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Because, listen, I I admitted like the rookie year for Mac Jones was good, but it was good in the idea that you thought you could build upon it and move, you know, and, you know, advance yourself going forward. If his, you know, ceiling is just that rookie season, then, yeah, I don't know if it's worthy of that worthy of that next contract. I was going to say it's good. It was good. It was a good rookie season. For a rookie. Yeah, the idea is that you can build on it, not plateau and sit on your laurels. Yeah, so when it comes to, you know, seeing what Mac Jones will become and if he can improve on that rookie form, if he gets back to the rookie form and has some improvements, maybe 
Uh, you know, throws less interceptions than he did as a rookie. More touchdowns. Uh, is better statistically. Maybe wins more games. That's great. You know, then then we have something to say. Okay, we have something that works here. There's there's a reason why he's our guy. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones's rookie year. Um, you know, twenty two touchdowns, thirteen picks. Um, QBR of ninety two five. Or uh, that was, yeah, that was his QBR was 50.9. His rating was uh, 92.5. And then he was a, he was a pro bowler, second in rookie of the year, as I had mentioned. Um, And, you know, was, you know, relatively regarded as a good rookie quarterback. It was like, hey, Bill might have found something in this guy. The next season, only at 14 touchdowns. I know he was injured, but that played a factor as well. And, you know, he did cut the interception numbers down, but again, he missed games. So you don't know what he would have done in those moments. So he had a couple of multi interception games last year as well. And, at times looked really just, you know, the word I had been using was putrid. Like it was mm. just, it looked bad. Yeah. And I mean, listen, you can fault him for the offense that he was in having to run all those screen passes, not really being able to push the ball downfield. And I mean, listen, in the games he did, it looks like an NFL offense and it looked like he could, you know, execute, but yeah, I, I think at least the, at least the rookie year is where you want to see him get back to. I mean, I think a pro bowl should be at least something on the table here. Yeah. Maybe you try to, I mean, listen, in terms of the team success, I want them to be in that playoff discussion. It's going to be an absolute buzzsaw, though, right now with the AFC East. I mean, not just with the Jets and the Bills that they're doing, but the Dolphins look like very form. The Dolphins look very formidable, right? Formidable right now, even without um, the potential acquisition of Jonathan Taylor. Just, uh, you know, Tua back for another year. He looks pretty uh, dangerous. Yeah, I I don't know. I it's it's going to be it's going to be tough to sort of gauge. But if if we're you know, sort of in that wild card discussion, maybe not like division winner. No, exactly. But like, like that, if we're in the wild card discussion and not, I want, I want to see us make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, if we fall in, listen, Mac Jones can go out, throw 30, go throw, he can throw 30 touchdowns. And if we end up in last place in the division, it's still not a win in my opinion. Like no. I, like I think that we still need to see him step up and win you a game. I don't know if there's really been a game yet that I can say Mac Jones won. I think Texas, I think uh, there was like a Texans game. I think his rookie year that, you know, he had a play down the stretch, but like that's against the Houston Texans. I don't think, I don't think there's been a big game yet against a winning team that Mac Jones has been the reason the team has won. Like he's gotten close, like he's done good, but he's always fallen short, like against the Bengals and the Bucks and the Cowboys. He, you know, when it's, when he's faced that big competition, he's actually balled out and he's made some big plays but he's never been able to take it over the top and get that win. So that's something I want to see as well. I want to see him finally, you know, him be the reason. Similar to, obviously, I'm not comparing him to a Tom Brady, but there were times where Tom Brady won you a football game. Yeah. So I want to see a time where Mac Jones can go win you a football game and you don't have to just rely on the defense or the run game or the line holding up, which is something that we will discuss because okay. that is pretty dangerous right now. So, um, you know, that's something I want to see for Mac Jones. I'm thinking that, at least I want to see that game that I can say Mac won that one. Yeah. So that's what we'll, that's what we'll leave with that. But Zeke, I had just mentioned the O-line and I want to talk, I want to talk offensive line. And frankly, yeah, which, which is awesome because, you know, O-line, it isn't the sexiest thing to to discuss. And I know the Patriots for a while, like the big discussion was, Oh, what are the Patriots going to do at running back? And they went out and they spent a bunch of money, brought in Ezekiel Elliott from the Cowboys. And a lot of people are happy with that move. They think he could be a good third down back for us back of Ramondre Stevenson, but the bigger issue right now, a lot of people argue is with this O-line because 
they frankly don't have anyone. I mean, Cole Strange got got hurt early on in training camp. Michael Onwenu, who I have listed as well, uh, didn't get on the field until like this week. So he's been kind of up and down. I mean, you know, his rookie year, he was a monster for this team. But, you know, the fact that he's been injury riddled and then, uh, you know, Riley Reef, who was one of the bigger, you know, signings that we made this offseason because, you know, we didn't end up uh, dedicating a lot of money to one singular guy. So Riley Reef was one of these people that we brought in. He's 35 years old. He A lot of people have said the tread the tread on his tires has basically gone and he got hurt in the final preseason game of the year. So Zeke, you know, we're going up against potentially the best pass rush in the league. First game of the season. How nervous are you for this O-line? Uh, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm quaking my boots as we speak. I mean, um, and if I'm Mac Jones, I'm scared because he's not a mobile quarterback, guys. You know, he can he can move a little bit more than Tom Brady, but that's like old man, 45 year old Tom Brady. I mean, you're com- you're com- when you're saying he can move more than Tom Brady, that, that doesn't say much. That, that says <laughs> I mean, almost nothing. Yeah, exactly. He, he's not a statue in the pocket, but he's certainly not. Uh, I don't trust him to run around. Um the offensive line is an absolute crapshoot. I yeah. mean, it is. I think the best way that I would describe it is we are still building offensive lines. Like we have Dar- uh, Dante Scarnecchia as our offensive line coach. Yeah. They, they, they pick up a bunch of people in late rounds and they say, okay, these, uh, these guys will, will find something to do with them. Well, Scar isn't there anymore. Scar, exactly. Scar is Scar is gone. I mean, you used to literally put absolute trash in front of Dante Scarnecchia, and he could turn it to gold. Yeah. And and he was able to just coach these guys up and get it good. But yeah, to be honest with you, Zeke, I haven't seen an O line that's had me this nervous since about 2013. Because if you remember back to that 2013 oh, yeah. line, they just had so many injuries. Sebastian Vollmer had a broken leg. Ryan Wendell, their center, um, was just in you know was getting hurt for them, and they had injuries left and right on that O line. It reminds me a lot of that team ten years ago now. Yeah, so, so it, it it's it's definitely very worrying. And look, nothing nothing against Adrian Clem, right? <laughs> you know, I he's he's in his but he's in his first year as an offensive line coach. Yeah, and it's you know you can't expect someone who's in their first year to do what Skarnecchia did because no. I mean, Skarnecchia was just one of the, probably one of the greatest like assistant coaches of all time. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you just, you just can't expect poor Adrian Clem to, to just make I mean, something out of this line. I mean, Skarnecchia for God's sake was tenured longer than Bill Belichick here. He, like that's how long he was around. You think Bill Belichick has been with this team forever? No, Dante Skarnecchia was here. Like, I think like a f- like five years before Bill even stepped in the building. I think he was here in like yeah. 94. So he's been around the block and, you know, he's retired at certain points too, and then come back for other stretches. But yeah, man, it is, it is rough to see what's going on right now. And frankly, I don't even know if Skarnecchia could get this right. Cause, it, cause I don't even think we have a real right tackle right now. They, they've been trade. They've been trading to get more sort of offensive line pieces. I mean, we had Riley reef who was a tackle, but we moved him to guard. I mean, we like that's how that's how bad it's been. We're just shifting guys around, and we don't even know what we're doing right now. Yeah, it's it's been um, it's been it's been rough. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I played offensive line. Sure. You know, throughout my entire playing career, I was an offensive lineman. I was a defensive lineman. I care a lot about the trenches. Yeah. Um, it's not like we don't have talented people on this roster. David Andrews is still there. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, Trent Brown is still there. Uh, you know, he's walking off sides penalty, uh, or sorry, false start penalty. I mean, but- listen, the, the deal with Trent Brown, though, is you never know what you're going to get with him when he's on. He's one of the better O linemen in the league and he can hold up and he's, you know, just an absolute beast because he's like six. He's almost seven feet tall. Yeah. So like, and we you know when he's on, he's great. 
but you never know if he's going to show up to camp out of shape, if he's just going to be, like you said, jumping uh, and having false start penalties. So it's, it's an always a mess with him. Like he's, you know, either he's always one or the other. You never, it's never just down the middle with him. So yeah, that that's been an issue. David Andrews, listen, uh, did, did he retire? I thought I, is he back? No, he's, he's, he's there. He is back. Yeah. We, uh, we have David Andrews. And then we picked up another rookie with the last name of Andrews as well. Okay. That's what it was. Jake yeah, Andrews yeah, yeah. out of Troy. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that's what it was. We're going to, we're going to, I feel like it's going to be just a mix and match, you know, offensive line, mm-hmm. at least until we are certain that Cole strange is going to, is going to be back and filling in, in that left guard spot. Yeah. I mean, what do you even think about Cole strange? I mean, I, I like, he was, he was solid last year, but I, I, he didn't wow me for taking him for being a first round draft pick. Like, I mean, listen, if you're an O lineman getting selected in the first round, in my opinion, you need to be like a standout guy. And like, I'm not saying you need to be Zach Martin, who was just a, you know, yeah, a, a cornerstone for the say, Cowboys. It's hard. It's hard to be a Zach Martin. Yeah, I mean, you, you, he's you, one of the best. You can't be a Zach Martin, but like, I mean, like, you know, or even like an Eric Fisher or something like that. Like those guys are, were pretty good yeah. when they were at their peak, but I, I, and my expectation usually is be like if, a Pat's Nate Solder. Yeah. If, if you're an O lineman, I want to see you, I want to see you have an impact from the, from the get go. If you're a first rounder, it, it needs to warrant it. Otherwise, you know, we can pick up guys in the third, fourth round and, you know, develop them. But if, if you're supposed to be this first round draft pick, um, who's the other guy too, from the Falcons Lindstrom, yeah. um, you know, th- like that, that's the expectation I think that should come with an O lineman is that you are an absolute anchor of that O line. We are, you know, tr- we trust you and we know what you're going to do. It's not like, Oh, he's a project. We got to develop him. It's like, no, he is your stopgap guy from the go. I know that that might be an unreasonable expectation, but that's what I expect when you take that guy first round. Otherwise, let him drop. I was, I was gonna say it's it's sort of tough. Uh, it's it's a lot easier to see that sort of impact when you're drafting a lot of offensive linemen who get drafted in the first round or tackles, and it's mm-hmm. really easy to see the impact of a tackle. Sure. Inside interior line guards centers when you, it's it's a lot tougher to sort of gauge whether or not, uh, you know, they're really making that much of a difference in the game. Now, I. I Sorry to all the guards out there. Um, you know, I understand your pain. I'm with you. But it's it was just one of those things where, you know, they're working with double teams. They're, you know, but, working but, on getting to the second level. It's but it's I mean Zeke, but I mean Zeke, if this was an issue though, if if it's so difficult to recognize, why did they, you know, because when they picked Cole Strange, it was considered a stretch at the time. It wasn't like Cole Strange was like this lock to be a first round draft pick. It was like yeah, he could like go. It could be like it could be kind of whatever. But no, like they, I just don't get it. I I don't know why. You know, it's it's just tough. It, it's all about. I mean, the reason why we pick Cold Strange is athleticism. He has, and it's the projectability. I get it, but but the tough again, and I keep on saying the tough part. But we pick Cold Strange because we we're like our offensive line coaches can develop him our offensive line coaches can take the athleticism that he has and they can make him better and make him this big wow first rounder. Mm -hmm. Our offensive line coach last year was Matt Patricia. Yeah. You know, yikes. He's not developing anything. No, The only thing he's developing is an eating disorder. Yeah. So like, it's, it's one of those things where like, you can't, you can't, Look at Cole Strange and be like, well, you you didn't live up to potential. Yeah, no, you know, 
for lack of a better term, uh, you know, no crap, Sherlock. Yeah. You know, it's it's just like, of course he's not going to live up to expectations. He had Matt Patricia as an, as an offensive line coach. Now, we'll see what Adrian Clem can do, uh, but it was, it's just, it's, it's not, I, w- I, w- I don't, I don't think that's, uh, it's, it's fair to really judge strange off of just that one season where everything was wrong. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I mean, listen, it, it, it's always, it's always a crapshoot with that team. Like, and with that, and with that position, especially the fact that Skarnecki is out, you had Patricia last year and now you got macro or now macro Adrian Clem. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is tough, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I I thought that at first, like going into this Eagles game, there might've been, you know, some shot that I, that, you know, maybe this thing could hold up and they could uh, battle it out. Well, but I'm scared. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty scared now. Cause I mean, listen, it's not just like you have a bad O line and like, yeah. Matt and Mac Jones could get hurt. This Patriots team is very run heavy. They, 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 they basically designed their game about saying, all right, we're going to feed Ramondre Stevenson, probably feed Zeke near the goal line. Yeah. And they're going to do the work in the trenches for us. But if you have no trenches, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like that. Like, that's the whole thing is like to have a run game. You need to have at least a, a suitable offensive line, a, a capable one, a conscious one like you that like that's a minimum. Yeah, we were getting uh, even in preseason, we're getting no push. Yeah. And that was, you know, against backups. Mm-hmm. We were getting minimal push against the Houston Texans. I mean, it and we keep on ragging on the Houston Texans, but you compare the Texans to the Eagles. It's like they're playing a different sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis. Um, oh gosh, what's the the person they picked up this year? Um, Jalen Carter. You know, they have an amazing defensive line yeah. that are going to eat our guys alive. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this has been an issue since week one of the preseason when people first got a look at this team. People were just like a lot of people were just saying, uh, yeah, this is going to be an issue for us. And Bill Belichick did go out and he made some trades late in the season or late in the preseason just because he saw how bad it was, you know, really looking. He said, all right, I think we got a guy uh, from the Browns in exchange for Pierre Strong. And then we and then we acquired another guy as well, because he said, like, all right, this thing is getting really bad. We need to get at least someone on this roster. Yeah, I would think we got one uh, guy from the uh, Browns and guy from the Vikings. That's correct. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure the guy from the Vikings has some playing experience before. I think he's played like two years in the league, so he could be something potentially. Brown, Brown's guy doesn't have any playing experience, but no. that, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's like six, six, three eighty or something. Yeah. Like but that. what are you throwing? A, are you throwing gym teachers out now at this point? Like what are like, what are we doing? Like <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, it, it, it really is a struggle. So hopefully the Patriots can get things together. Uh, in your opinion for Bill Belichick, what is, you know, you know, I, I'd say he has probably one of the safer jobs in the league. I know a lot of people are talking about a potential hot seat situation or things like that. So I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, he misses the playoffs, and but they win 10 games or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, you got to fire him. But what is the expectation that you need to keep for Bill Belichick in order to, you know, have him stay another year with this team? You know, he, obviously you have to respect the legacy and everything that he has. But where at what point do you say, all right, maybe we need to consider moving on? I say... Um, if you are, if you have a winning record, I, I say you keep them. Yeah. Uh, if you have a losing record, but it's a losing record where you're like competing for that last playoff spot in the final week, 
you're, you're like you're like you're like what, um, like what one two games under 500 yeah you'd be like one game under 500 sure. maximum because ideally i think that final playoff spot is going to be someone who's like nine and eight or sure. something like that yeah. if you're eight and nine you're mostly you're likely you're probably, on the outside looking in yeah you're on the outside looking in but i would still probably be like well it's i don't know what maybe maybe one more year of bill mm-hmm. if you if this roster like bottoms out and you get like five wins five wins six wins even that seat's heating up <laughs> I, it's it's hard for me to really pull the trigger and ever really say fire Bill Belichick yeah, with any with any. Uh, it's such know. an impossible thing to say, but you look at all the other coaches that you know have been in his potential shoes. You look at Tom Landry uh, and Don Shula, like coaches that at one point were considered untouchable. But then Jerry Jones takes over the Cowboys and he says, "All right, my first act as owner is to fire Tom Landry and and bring in Jimmy Johnson and do all that stuff." There, like it was like that is an impossible position to be in. But it happened and you just and they went in that direction. Now, I mean, I don't know if that will ever happen with Bill Belichick. I think just the history with him and Kraft and everything that's gone on there, it's so rich because I think you lose Bill Belichick. You don't just lose, you know, the you don't just lose the coach. You also lose the GM, which I mean wouldn't be the worst thing based on some of the moves that he's made. But now you have to do you do have to fill two positions now and you know gets and get two guys that are potentially on the same page, you know, have the same mission and stuff going forward, which yeah. You know, based on another team we'll talk about in a little bit can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. So, uh, you know, the Patriots, they open their season against the Eagles. They'll return face. the They'll uh, be at home again, face the Dolphins, Jets, Cowboys, Saints, Raiders. I mean, that's going to be a tough opening stretch for this team. I mean, especially like when you get towards the Jets and everything like that. For some reason, I still feel like you can take on the Cowboys. I feel like, you know, even though they're as good as they are, Bill Belichick has always been able to figure something out with them, you know, whether um that's the case this time or not i think that we'll have to see how that plays out saints i think he got that um raiders will be interesting just because uh second second go around with josh mcdaniels are facing jimmy garoppolo so uh it's going to be an interesting start to the season in your opinion what do you think the patriots overall record will be based on what the talent that you've seen so far you know i'm always more on the optimistic side sure uh and going into the season i was thinking probably something like uh, you know, 11 and six, 10 and seven. Uh-huh. Uh, right now I'm looking at maybe like a nine and eight. Yeah. Uh, I'm again, that's still on the optimistic side for me. Yeah. Um, I think that will be good enough to maybe get like seven seed, maybe six seed. If mm-hmm. they, if they win a couple games that, uh, that are like those 50, 50 games, but yeah, well, I, I Probably something within the eight to 10 range is my expectation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Zeke, before we transition over to college football, I want to hear one player that you were up on and one player that you are down on going into this year for the Patriots after, you know, the preseason and everything that you saw. Okay. Uh, so one player that I'm up on, I'm very interested to see how Kayshawn Boutte plays, uh, whether or not he'll actually get any uh, sort of game time reps because uh, when he was in the preseason, I saw some flashes like he uh, like he showed early on in his tenure at LSU. Mm-hmm. So if if Boutte sort of shows even more flashes, we might have another classic Bill Belichick late round wide receiver uh, who's who's coming up through the through the ranks and really uh, showing off. Sure, a uh, player who I am sort of more down on. That's 
Uh, it's more that's definitely tougher uh, to sort of key in on. Um, I'd say probably Sean Wade. Mm. He's he's been on the roster. I just haven't seen a, I haven't anything. Se- I just haven't seen him. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I've, I've, seen, I've, I've I've just heard the name Sean Wade for so many years, and it's like, who the hell is this guy? It's, it's like, yeah, Sean Wade can't play this week. I'm like, yeah, I still don't know who he is. I mean, he uh, he's just I don't know. I haven't seen uh, as much from him that's really warranting that roster spot over some some other people who sure. uh, got cut. Also, one last thing I want to touch on: uh, the second round rookie uh, Keon White. It's a menace. He looks awesome. That, I, he was, was going to be one of the guys that I was up on. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm also up on him. So sorry to steal your thunder there for a little yeah. bit. Well, I mean, I, I at least can say the guy that I'm really interested in as well, outside of Keon White, is uh, the other wide receiver we took to Mario Douglas. I'm mm. really liking Pop Douglas. He looks to be pretty solid. So I'm looking forward to see what he can do for this team. And then uh, guy I'm kind of down on. I mean, listen, Riley Reef would be an easy one, but um. I guess I would kind of go with Cole Strange. I mean, you just based on what we've seen so far, I want to see that jump and just, you know, getting hurt earlier in the year. It's not a great look, but I know that, you know, you know, that's going to be tough to see. So hopefully he can get back on track with that. But uh, he would be one of the guys that I'm, you know, a little worried about right now going into the year. But Zeke, we're going to transition over to some college football news. Uh, I'm going to let you kind of lead off with this segment because you're the big college football guy. You're the voice of the Bryant Bulldogs for their college football. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, so get into it. What, what are some stories you want to talk about? All right. So first things first, the college football season is back, folks. And I'll, I'll tell you what it. I was counting down the days like an advent calendar. Um, You know, my family started to get worried. Uh, But week zero is in the books. Uh, Now, week zero happens. It's like a couple, maybe like six or seven uh, games that get played Mm -hmm. um, before week one officially starts. So some teams during week one will be, you know, like already 0-1 going into the week or 1-0 going into the week. Now, we had two ranked teams play during week zero mm. Notre Dame yep. and USC. Now Notre Dame faced off against uh, the U S Navy over in Aviva stadium in Dublin, Ireland. Don't ask me why the U S Navy was playing in Ireland. Um, I mean, it is kind of badass though, to see it, to see a it was to see a game in Ireland. It's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a cool venue and it's a great way to kick off the season. I mean, with Notre Dame too, like Notre Dame, like, you know, it, the fighting Irish it, in Ireland. It's awesome. The storylines were, were there to begin with. They routed Navy, uh, 42 to three. And then, uh, USC played San Jose state and beat them 56 to 28. Now the big storyline for me is a quarterback play for those two games. Sam Hartman looked fantastic Four passing touchdowns for Sam Hartman and really added a new pop to the Notre Dame offense that we haven't seen in years. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't really had a quarterback that's been, that's added a wow factor to the offense since, oh gosh, I'm trying to even remember uh, maybe Brady Quinn. Oh, wow. Like it, it's been a while, you know, Ian book did not add that wow factor. No. Sean Kaiser didn't add that wow factor. Um, so needless to say, it's been a little bit. And Caleb Williams, uh, returning Heisman winner, uh, also threw four passing touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. Williams is not going to be uh, the big – I mean, he's a big storyline, and the offense looked fantastic, but I got a sneeze loading up for a second. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. I'm going to try to try to power through it. Um, but the big storyline for USC is going to be their defense. Can their defense – do anything. 
They let up 28 points to uh, an experienced San Jose offense, but I mean, it's, it was, they should have tried, they should have shut them down. Sure. You know, you had months to prepare for this game and you let up 28 points to San Jose state. You let Chevin Cordero, who's in his like sixth year, former Hawaii quarterback (laughs) now at San Jose state, you let him convert a third and 22 by scrambling for it. Oh, Are you kidding me? Yeah. So that that's the big, I would say that's the, the big storylines from week zero. Uh, now for more of a local storyline, uh, the UMass Minutemen. I saw that. Uh, have won a game. So congratulations to all the UMass fans out there. You got your designated one win per season. I'm kidding. Uh, you have an FCS game later on in the year, so you'll actually double your win total. Hey. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm taking pot shots at UMass. I got friends who go there. Yeah, it's all good. Um, it's warranted. But uh, congratulations to UMass. Uh, they've already matched their previous two seasons totals for wins just in week zero. So uh, way to go for them. Now, coming up in week one uh, are a couple games that I want to highlight that I'm very excited about. First things first, it's getting kicked off on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So it's Tuesday through even uh, Monday. That's that's week week one. Wow. Since it's not competing with NFL or anything like that, you have Tuesday, or sorry, Thursday. Uh, you have Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Okay, wow. Now, a lot of games because a lot of the teams aren't playing each other. They're mm-hmm. playing FCS opponents yep. for a lot of them. The big one uh, tomorrow or uh is going to be Florida versus Utah. Okay. Uh, Utah ranked number 14 in the nation right now. Uh, it's going to be played in Salt Lake, so the altitude might be a factor there. Not being played in the swamp like last season. Florida won the last game with a last-second interception. Um, this one is going to be interesting because if you are high on Utah and you want Utah to win this game, there's going to be one factor that determines whether they will or whether they might not. And that's the health of their quarterback, Cam Rising. He got injured. He tore his ACL in the Rose Bowl against Penn State last uh, early on this this year. I think it was, I think, January 1st, maybe, or January 2nd, one of okay. those days. Uh, but it was very, very early on in the year. So he's trying to come back and play in this game. If he's about a 50-50, whether or not he'll actually play, if he's in, he adds a new dynamic, uh, you know, element to the offense. If not, we'll have to see if Wisconsin transfer um, Bram Mertz can really lead the Florida Gators to that promised land. Sure. Now, I'm going to skip over the Friday slate. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Miami, Florida versus Miami, Ohio. That's the Miami Bowl. Let's just skip will. to it. Skip to the next thing. We're skipping over it. Uh, on Saturday, the couple, uh, one that I want to highlight, big attention going to be on Colorado's program mm-hmm. now with Deion Sanders as yeah, the head coach. It's going to be awesome. So, I mean, Deion, I know, at least had some health complications early in the year. A lot of people thought he was going to like lose his foot. So, I mean, the fact that he's got the fact that he'll be back on the sideline is going to be good for that team, too. Absolutely. And, you know, they're going to be at TCU in Fort Worth um, against the defending Big 12 champions. Yeah. And the uh, we don't even want to talk about the national championship. I was with say, national championship runner, runner up. ups, but did they real? Was it really a runner up? I mean, they 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 got slaughtered in that game. So I yeah. I, I can't even call them the second place like finishers. Like the, the 
the runner-up was Georgia running up the score. Exactly. Um, other big games that I want to highlight for uh for that one, uh, we're gonna touch on uh, uh the one that's happening at night being uh the Saturday night football highlighted game on ABC. It's gonna be uh 21st ranked North Carolina with Drake May as the quarterback. He's one of those uh quarterbacks that people are watching for like maybe a top, maybe a first round pick. Sure. For this next upcoming draft playing at South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina's list is the home team. It's a neutral site game being played at the Carolina Panthers field, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, so Drake May versus Spencer Rattler. Um, so that should be a pretty uh, important matchup. So, yeah, then- it, so yeah, it's going to be a great return for college football coming up this weekend. Uh, Zeke, there was one other thing I wanted to discuss in college football with you, and that was uh, the Netflix documentary Swamp Kings that had just come out. Oh, I have. Have you watched it yet? So I haven't had a chance to watch Swamp Kings fully, but I know a lot about the stories of yeah. the 2008 Gators. Yeah. So for, you know, those of you who don't know the 2007, 2008 Gators, uh, you know, one of the just one of the premier, you know, absolutely loaded football teams of our time, you know, kind of compares to the, to the U of the, uh, of the late nineties, early two thousands, where, yeah. you know, the university of Miami, you had guys like uh, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Vince Wilfork, and you go to this uh, Florida Gators team and you look and you just look at some of the talent up and down that roster of Tim Tebow, Cam Newton even was on that team at mm-hmm. one point. Um, Percy Harvin, the Pasty uh, brothers, yeah. Aaron there, Hernandez. Yeah. So in, in the net and therein lies the controversy with it. Cause not only were they going out there winning national championships and being extremely talented, but they also were full of, of, of a lot of controversy on that team. And a lot of people have been clamoring to say, Hey, we finally want to have a documentary to, t- to discuss this. And, uh, we got it with Netflix's documentary swamp King. So I'm about uh two to three episodes in right now. I have uh, it's a four part series, so they're about 45 minutes each. If you guys are thinking about watching it, um, I can say this. It's pretty good for what it shows. Now, what it focuses on more is the uh, is the kind of the success of the team and like, you know, what you're seeing. So at least the first two episodes, it's about them getting to that point, winning that first national championship, which at the way it's made to believe is that there were really no controversies leading up to that first national national championship and everything essentially came afterwards. Now, um, you know, they were still known for being kind of hard on each other, having really demanding practices and urban, you know, kind of being the stickler that he was. But um, the way it's panned is that, oh, after that first national championship, then all the issues start to arise. But even then, they don't really cover um, a lot of the things. I've heard that Aaron Hernandez has mentioned once in the documentary, and it was just about the fact that Tim Tebow and him got into a bar fight together. Not the fact that he allegedly shot and killed a guy while he was there. They don't mention the Pouncey twins at all. And there are a lot of things that just don't get mentioned. They don't they don't talk about Urban Meyer's health or any of the um, phone calls that get made right out yet made. Um, uh, Chris Rainey, I think, was his name. Was that a is that correct? Um, let me look this up. Are you talking about like the quarterback? No, no, no. Uh, Rainey. Oh. Yeah, Chris Rainey was a football running back at Florida. Um there was a there was a controversy at the time where he sent a text to his girlfriend that said, quote, time to die mm. was not mentioned at all in the documentary was a big controversy at the time. So it seems that they are leaving a lot of a lot of important aspects out of this documentary where these were some of the things people were hoping to see. Like, listen, like we know a lot of people, they know the story of the success that that team had. But it wasn't just the fact that, oh, this was a good team that went out and won national championships. It's like, hey. 
every national championship has that story. Every national champion can say, Hey, we, we had a loaded roster. We went out there. We won the national championship. That wasn't the story with them. It was the fact that they did all this in spite of their controversies. Yeah. And the other thing too, I can say this, that thing was made by urban Myers PR people. It is absolutely crazy how favorable he looks in all of this. Cause I mean, if you just go back to two years ago with how Urban Meyer flamed out as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, everyone was completely, you know, going at him and being like, dude, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, he, to discipline a kicker, he decided to kick him in the leg. Um, you know, he was he wasn't flying back on the team planes. He was going to his own bar in Ohio when the team was in Cleveland. And, you know, he was completely just being a mess out there when he was coaching the Jaguars. And. This documentary takes a lot of the things that he does. And listen, Urban Myers is an incredible coach. I mean, at, yeah. at least at the college level. And some of the disciplinary things that he did, I mean, it seemed to, you know, warrant a lot of success. But there are other moments where I'm going, oh, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you might have taken that far. And, you know, maybe that's why your job, maybe that's why your NFL career didn't really work out so well. So you kind of see some of the tea leaves there, but they never really say like, hey, Urban, maybe you shouldn't have done some of these things. He was like, yep, I did that. And that's how we won. Yeah, it, it's always it's always interesting, especially when it's like a documentary series. Yeah. To sort of view who. You know, what are they showing? What are they ex like? What are they excluding from it? Mm -hmm. And it seems like they excluded a lot of information that would have really probably changed some of the narratives that they wanted to perfect. Uh, yeah. They wanted to show. And so. I'm sure they probably did that too. Cause there were some guys in the documentary that had their own controversies and some of them, some of them, they, they like some stuff was brought up and it said like, Hey, this guy got into a fight. This guy was, you know, drunk doing something like, you know, and was kind of, you know, out there, you know, like being kind of whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't to the level where, where it was like, Oh, like, you know, we need to like, I think if they had talked about more of the controversies, there's a chance that not as many people would have signed up to be in the documentary. That's, and, that's and, definitely. Cause, cause that's, I think, I, I think they were possible. like, I think they were like, Hey, I don't want to answer for this. I'm not talking about it. And instead of just saying so-and-so refused to comment on the issue, they just said, all right, we're just going to, we're just going to beat around the bush with this, which sucks. Cause you know, the, the untold series on Netflix got off to a rough start, but I think they really hit their stride with the Manti Teo doc, the girlfriend that didn't mm. exist. If you've seen, if you haven't seen that doc, check it out. It was basically the first case of um, catfishing on like that celebrity level. Yeah. Um, with how that all went down, and then they also just made the Johnny Manziel documentary as well this summer. I watched that. That was really good. And from what I'm seeing so far, I mean, it could, in my opinion, improve. Improve and listen, I like what I've seen so far of what is being shown, but I do think that they could have dove into so much more with that group. I, I, uh, again, I haven't I haven't had a chance to really watch it, but I I think that's probably uh, yeah. a realistic expectation for it. The way I've heard it described is that if uh, another good documentary I mentioned the U, um, which was the University of Miami in that yeah. early to in that er, in that late nineties early two thousands, that thirty for thirty I've heard is just miles ahead of where this documentary is, uh, where this docu-series is. So yeah. apparently if you want to go watch a good series that shows all the good, all the bad, go watch that series because that'll give you the full breakdown. So uh, that's what I heard with that. Uh, and I just really quickly want to touch on one more college football game. Sure. Uh, on the Sunday, uh, Sunday the 3rd, it's the biggest matchup of week one, uh, and it's not even close. Uh, number five, LSU. Uh, it at number eight, Florida State. 
uh, marquee matchup. It's taking place on a neutral site field. Once again, this one is taking place in Orlando. Uh, but that one is going to be, uh, you know, to, if you want to watch only one college football game all week, uh, all of week one, watch that one. That's going to have the most national ramifications. Sure. All right. Well, that's what we have in football news for you guys. We're going to do a quick baseball minute before we do go down to the wire. And uh, we're going to touch on the Boston Red Sox. So uh, that has been an because that has been an absolute mess so far. Um, I don't I don't know if I ended up getting the final score of their game today. Uh, how did they end up finishing off today? I believe they ended up losing to the Astros. Um, Red Sox score. So uh, should should have had that up previously. Seven to four. Yep. So seven to four. They got swept by the Astros at home. Uh, they now sit, I believe, seven and a half games out of that final wild card spot. So. Um, it's looking worse and worse every single day for this team. And I mean, this entire series against the Astros and even dating back to Mookie Betts' return to, to Fenway. I mean, it's been a rough weekend and week for this team. So uh, let's take it back to this weekend, at least where Mookie Betts, who, you know, famously we traded them for, you know, pennies on the dollar, got back Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, who is now no longer a member of this team. And Connor Wong, who's a serviceable catcher. So that was the return for one of the best players in all of baseball. He is now wearing Dodger blue, comes back into Fenway and absolutely shreds your shreds you. I mean, he goes seven for, for 15, has a home run uh, scored, I think, like, you know, four or five runs on his own right. So, um, you know, he pants you. He yeah. like he he won the trade. He came back in. He proved why he was why he was worth that money. And you decided not to give it to him. So that was a rough way to start the weekend. I mean, listen, it sucks to see him in that other un in that other uniform. But as a Red Sox fan who hated the trade from the get go, I mean, Zeke, my first show on this, you know, doing down to the wire, I've done over 200 episodes now. My first episode was discussing the Mookie Betts trade as it was happening when it was going down. Mm. And I was like, please, like, don't like, don't let these rumors be true. And I remember the trade actually got stalled for a little bit. And I was like, Boston, this is your chance. You can back out now. Try to rework a deal. Try to do something. And and the end, what ended up being the return was just far from, you know, what what we should have gotten for him. And it's it, it's a shame that that's what it came to. Yeah, it, I mean, um, but you do feel kind of vindicated knowing knowing that you know you were right in the end. Yeah, I was uh I was watching some of those games over the weekend and my my only thought was why can't we have players like that? And why can't like, we have a Mookie Betts? Oh wait, we did. Yeah, <laughs> we, we did. We had oh, we had one? Oh man. Yeah. And and it, it sucks cuz those players don't grow on trees and Heim Bloom came out and he ended up saying like, yeah, we weren't in the position to uh, surround Mookie Betts with talent. It wasn't, it, he said, we didn't doubt that Mookie was going to be a talented player. We knew he was going to be talented, but we couldn't surround him with talent. And to that, I say, I I, I want to call bull on that because the year prior to, you know, th that in 2019 season, you won the goddamn World Series and you won 119 games doing it. A lot of those guys were still on that 2019 roster going into 2020. It's not like everyone up and left. I know that some pieces went and it was kind of crazy, but you know, let's throw 2020 out the door. You go from, you know, cause that, that season was kind of a joke. A lot of players yeah. opted out. Let's just throw that out the door. If you go to 2021, they were in game six of the ALCS ready to go back to the world series where, you know, I think they had a good shot to take down the, that Atlanta Braves team. So, I mean, had you surrounded, and especially if you put Mookie Betts in that lineup, I think that you might win that series. I, I agree. Uh, so, so that, so that's just, that, that's the part where it just makes you go, what the hell were they thinking? 
you had enough team. And this was a self-induced rebuild. This team did not need to pull the trigger and have to blow it all up. But they said, you know what? We're over the luxury tax. We want to get under. And we're just, and you know, John Henry was sick of spending the money. So he said, you know what? This is this is where I'm going to put my foot down. We're not going to pay this kid. And it's a damn shame because, you know, he's he's a certified Hall of Famer and he's going to go in wearing Dodger blue. Yeah. Which, it, which stings and it should because he should still be here because he's producing probably better right now than he was during that MVP season in 2018. He's hitting, he's hitting 300 with close to 40 home runs right now. It's not even September. In my opinion, he, he probably should be that NL MVP if, if Olsen doesn't, uh, if Olsen's cools down it whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's sad to say it, yeah. it's sad to say because we had him and we, traded him in the prime of his career too it's not like he was like an over the hill veteran it's not like no uh i mean not to say that i uh, liked the the letting xander bogarts go no but uh you know at least at least with xander bogarts i knew that like listen my the i fault the red Sox for not paying xander sooner yeah when it got to the point in free agency and the padres offered him 11 years 285 million i was like Honestly, thank God the Red Sox didn't say, oh, yeah, we'll offer you that. Because I don't think that Xander Bogarts is worth that money. But that's what, but that, the, but, but the Padres knew that that's what it was going to take to take him away from Boston because he loved it here so much. Yeah. I just, I, I just, it's, it's got to go down as one of the biggest blunders in, you know, Red Sox history. In my opinion, it is this generation's Babe Ruth trade. I, I would be inclined to agree with that. It is that bad in my opinion because of just what you traded away because not only did you trade away one of the best players in baseball, but you, I believe, irreparably damaged the future of the the future of the talent coming up because they're all just going to say, all right, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to have my success. And by the time it comes for me to get that big contract, I know I'm getting lowballed. And that's just what it is. Like, I mean, it's hap- it happened with John Lester when he was here. They offered him, I think it was like four years, like uh, 70 million or something like that. And he went out in free agency and he doubled that with the Cubs. And it the same thing happened with Mookie Betts. And I was like, don't let it get to this point because you did it with Lester. You had to trade him to the A's and you had the foolish belief that you were going to be able to sign him back in free agency. And you there was no shot in hell that was ever going to happen. So the fact that it got to this point is disgusting. And frankly, I I think if you hadn't bullied John Henry into basically signing Raphael Devers, you would have seen this entire thing play out again with him. It would have been like, oh, what are they going to do with Devers? Oh, Devers isn't liking the offer he's getting. Oh, they're going to potentially shop him at the deadline. And it would have been the same thing. But I think that there was such a big protest of that, that they all said, you know what? Screw it. You know, we'll throw a bag of money at Devers, shut you guys up and be like, oh, yeah, we do pay our players. But you didn't pay the one that actually mattered, in my opinion. Yeah, it's that set the precedent going forward. I think if Meyer comes up, he's going to see this and he's going to be like, all right, like, am I really going to get the money I deserve? So I'm I'm sorry about that little rant there. That, that's just I'm so I'm no, it, so done with the ownership. The general manager, everything with it has been absolutely just pissing me off so far. And the Mookie Betts trade was the, uh, it was kind of just the catalyst of all of it. And seeing him come back in this weekend, I miss him. I'm glad that he had success against the Red Sox as much as I hate to say that, but you know, it's, it's, it's what you deserve. So, I mean, listen, it's what this team deserves, but it's not what this fan base deserves. And listen, the Red Sox lately, they've had, they've, 
they really haven't been showing much for this fan base. I mean, you go into uh, you know, this game on Monday, Zeke, you were you were at the Red Sox game on I, Monday I, at the start of this Astro series, which was gonna be a pivotal turning point for this series potentially for the Red Sox, because say they went in, swept the Astros, at least t- took two games out of three. They would, you know, still be kind of treading water above, still kind of be treading water heading into September and being like, all right, we can still compete for a wild card spot yeah. here. Fighting for it. Yeah. But instead, they go out there in that first game. In that first game, they are battling it out with the team. They take a lead on an Adam Duvall two-run home run. Yes, and they send Kyle Baraclaw out on the mound. Who, if you don't know, Kyle Baraclaw has been kind of up and down between the major leagues this year. Um, I had actually seen him a little bit in AAA Worcester. So uh, in the games I saw with him, you know, it was fine. He was just kind of thrown out there to eat some innings. You know, would throw would probably you know throw about four or five innings, and they would turn it over to the Woo Sox bullpen, and that was really it. But they then brought him up to the major league roster and they were just kind of using him as a bulk guy. And what I saw on Monday is perhaps one of the worst pitching outings I've ever seen just from a guy like Kyle Baraclough finished the game throwing 94 pitches and through four and a third innings. He allowed 10 runs, 11 hits, five walks, three home runs, and he hit three batters. And it was just like, all right. I think the first, the first, I think the first inning he went out there, he did fine. And then they said, all right, we kind of have to stretch this guy. And I think that um, it was like seven, eight, nine at the bottom of the, the, the bottom of the order was coming out. So they said, all right, we'll throw him out there. Hopefully we can, you know, you know, spare, hopefully we can kind of, you know, eat an inning here. And it was like, cool. And I think it was, um, I think like somehow like Altuve got to the plate. He tripled that inning. Yeah. And then the, and then the very next batter Bregman comes up to the plate and he plunks him. At that point, it should be it at least should be, hey, we need to get a guy up in the bullpen and and and, and start least, warming up and at least doing something because this is getting pretty, you know, he's starting to lose it here. And Jordan Alvarez is about to step up to the plate where he just I mean, he destroys baseballs. Yeah. So we should at least get something going here and crickets in the Red Sox bullpen. Jordan Alvarez comes up, blasts a three run shot, takes the lead for the Astros. And it just was it was, you know, it was it was night night like it, it was over for that team. Altuve did end up going on to hit for the cycle off Baraclaw had that had the crucial home run to do it. And I mean, it's I can understand in a game where you are down maybe three runs. It's late in the game and the manager can just say to a guy, hey, we're trying to spare some arms here. Even if you're not even if you don't have it all, just go out there and throw the ball like yeah. just just try to eat some innings. If as long as you're not getting hurt, just, you know, save yeah. us, save us a couple arms here. It's, it just happens, unfortunately, in those blow-away games. That wasn't the case here. The Red Sox had the lead. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like it was tied. They were ahead. They lost the lead. And instead of saying, all right, let's try to, you know, bring in a bring in a reliever, try to save this thing, they said, you know what? You know, game's over. We're just going to up and quit. I mean, Zeke, you were at this game. You know, tell me, yes. tell me your breakdown of all this. Yeah, so I was uh, – I had uh... – I had pretty good seats. I was there celebrating my birthday. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was a, it was a good well, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a great it was a great time. Um, but you know, I, I was at this game. You know, I celebrating my birthday, and I'm sitting in a like sort of low down to the field. There, there are nice seats, but I was surrounded by Astros fans. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which that's a whole nother issue. Tickets being so expensive that a bunch of Astros fans. I'll discuss that in a second too. Yeah, but go on. And, you know, sort of back and forth and everything like that. You know, the game goes 
were up two runs and then they come back tied up. They take the lead by one run. Then we hit a two run home where it's four to three. We're up. I'm feeling good. And then Altuve, uh, when the, when Altuve tripled, I'm like, ah, gosh, darn it now. Okay. We only have one out at this point and now we have a runner on third Mm -hmm. and then Bregman gets hit by a pitch. I'm like, that's, you can't do that. That's going to come back to bite us. Jordan Alvarez hits the homer. That's it. And then I'm, I'm just staring like into my hands being like, what are we doing? And each and every inning after that, where Bearclaw comes back onto the mound, my mom and I turn to each other and we're like, they're, Are we serious? They're seriously not going to run this kid back out again. Is right? this is this a joke? My mother, very nicely, <laughs> she was like, "Are she was like, get this guy off the field." Yeah. If my mother is saying, "Get this guy off the field," that's saying something. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't watch that much baseball but she, even she can know yeah this guy's not not having a good day get him out of there but no they kept them they threw him out there again and again and again and again and it never never crossed my mind that it was that they had any confidence in this guy it was a sheer waving of the white flag moment and it was disgraceful yeah i mean so i had seen a couple things going around online basically the fact that um that like i guess some of the medical staff only cleared a couple of the pitchers going into the game i guess um outs like i i think like at once once they got to barraclaw um the only guy the only guys that were left were like um chris martin and then kenley jansen but at a certain point yeah i think you do throw chris martin in that game because he's at least effective and could get and could you know buy you a couple innings so i mean like something it, anything yeah, it could get you something and the fact that you got the the fact that you rode him out to the seventh inning is ridiculous i mean you can you can throw this all on this kid as you want but he shouldn't have been out there as long as he was i, I mean i i think that alex wait Cooper, do you say to the seventh oh was he out there for the seventh did he make it he was the, out there for the seventh and the eighth oh yeah see yeah, yeah sorry even into the ninth yeah at so, the top of the ninth he was still out there yeah so that's the issue i see with it it's not that like that that's the problem too is that you could have all right let, let me rephrase this i think that alex core is a good manager I, i've generally i've taken his side on a lot of things this is a fireable offense in my opinion because listen the kid if, if he doesn't have it some nights the st- his final stat line shouldn't have looked like this. He probably should have been taken out at least two innings before this. At least. At the very least. At least two innings before this. He sh- As soon as you saw it going off the rails, it should have said, all right, we're going to pull the plug. Maybe he maybe he ended up letting up three or four runs by the time that would have happened. I'm not, I don't have the yeah. exact like inning by inning breakdown, but it wouldn't have been as bad as this. For Alex Corey, he knew the kid was struggling out there. He knew he didn't have his stuff. You know, Bearclaw, after the game, he ended up saying, like, I don't think I've ever thrown a baseball worse than that. And frankly, I know it's right, but, you know, the manager does need to say, all right, kid doesn't have it tonight. We need to pull the plug, find something else to work. Even if it's you're putting a position player in the pitch at, at yeah. a certain point, like, because at that point, the game did get out of hand enough. It was like, all right, maybe we just do that. Like, but it, like they could have done something. And, you know, Cora just left him out to dry. It was it was embarrassing. That frankly. is, you know, we were talking about uh, earlier in the show with Max Jones, like Max Jones having like the confidence breaker yeah. games. That is a confidence breaker game for Kyle Bearclaw. He will probably never be the same pitcher 
again that he was before that game. Good shot of it, I'd say. I mean, listen, and I, I think that this could have honestly just been Cora saying saying to saying to like the to the um front office and whatnot, like, hey, this is what you're giving me. You're giving me Kyle Baraclaw and a and a couple of scraps on a on a night where we need to win a baseball game here. And you know what? I'm gonna stick this kid out here and let and leave him out to dry because this is what you've left me. And listen, I think that's a terrible move to do as a to do as a, a manager, yeah. but based on the position that he's put in. I mean, you're not given much here. And it, it sucks that you can't like send down a guy and bring up another pitcher and do something to make it work. But you've got to figure something out here because that was that was completely unreasonable. And it was should it could have all been avoided. And it was just like even if you are making a point to the front office, if you even if you are making a, a public point dem- demonstration like that, though, like it's not even like when he wore the underdog shirt that like. But go on there. This is this is ridiculous. Like, even even if it is a public display aimed at management, your actions have consequences there, yeah. pal. You know, you have essentially destroyed someone's career just because you want to make a point. Yeah. I mean, listen. Point any other way. Have a meeting with them. Yeah. Talk I mean, I mean, listen, I've taken Chorus out on a lot of this, but if he's gonna do this, then he's gotta go. Yeah. It's like, like I, I've taken a side on a lot of things, but if this is the case, then yeah, he's gotta be out. But I mean, that was just the start of it. We ended up dropping the next two to the Astros as well. And, you know, as it sits right now, I believe we're seven and a half games out of that final wild card spot. Zeke, you know, this has kind of been the Red Sox theme all season is that, you know, they originally were playing up to competition and they were doing well against these good teams. Has it been the case as of as of late? They've been playing bad against these good teams. And they actually have the hardest remaining schedule of any competing team left in the big leagues. It's not looking good for this team now. It's it's very Red Soxy into them this year to go out and probably, you know, win 10 straight games, be the best team in baseball, and then and then you know, be three out and be like, hey, we're right back in it. We're gonna rally right here. That's been the way they've act like they've that's how they've been the entire season. Now, after what you've seen right now, do you think that that's the pattern we're gonna see? Or do you think that this is potentially the point where it really starts to go off the rails? Uh and I might be biased here just because I was at that game. Sure. It seems like a it seems like going off the rails. Sure. That I think was as definitive as any turning point could possibly be. When you in the in in the middle of a game give up. Yeah. Just just clearly give up and say, hey, we're not even gonna try to win this thing. No. When you are still fighting for a wild card spot. Black Sox scandal style. That is, that's just, that's terrible. Yeah. it. Your team's not motivated now. Your team is seeing that you're giving up. Mm-hmm. What do they have to play for? What, what, what makes them think that you're going to rally, that you're going to win, that you're going to make it to the wild card? Yeah. There's nothing, no. nothing that inspires any confidence in me that they will rally whatsoever. No. And the other thing too is like, I mean, I, I frankly don't have confidence in them either, but um, you know, kind of a bigger point to this is that, I mean, if they're going to give up like this, they look to this fan base and they, and they've said, and they've said, you know, since this rebuild, they had, um, you know, and at the winter, like we, like the Red Sox have this winter weekend thing that they do out in Springfield. Mm-hmm. And it's usually just this kind of like big, like happy, like fest, like everyone's, everyone's just like, Hey, can't wait to watch the Red Sox this spring. But this year, a bunch of fans went out and they, openly booed John Henry Heimblum in the entire front office during like a Q&A session where they thought it was just going to be a complete, like they thought they were just going to greetings, but instead 
it was just brutal out there for them, which, you know, I basically, think, I think we talked about that on a, on a previous show. I, I think, I think we did. And, you know, it, they just got absolutely torn down by these, by, by these Red Sox fans and, and good for them because, you know, th- that's what they deserve at that point. So, yeah. And they have come and they had been coming out and saying like, Hey, stick with this team, believe in us. You know, we're going to prove some people wrong this year and, you know, just watch out. Cause you'll see us. And I'm like, all right, you're telling us to believe in you and not quit on you, but you openly quit in a game. How are you supposed to go to this fan base and say, Hey, stick with us. Cause we're really fighting in this thing to the end. When you openly just give up in my opinion, like I'm, I, I I don't want this thing to be like an Oakland A's thing where you turn it into the Coliseum. And you have nobody present at these games, but I would like to see it where, you know, you know, the only, I don't think that you need to, I don't think people not showing up is the answer for John Henry, but what's proven to work in the past is actually public humiliation, at least with him, mm-hmm. at least for him to have action and get things done. And the reason I say that is, you go back to the uh, 2022-23 Winter Classic when the Bruins played in Fenway Park. They played the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. And John Henry is the principal owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he showed up to Fenway wearing a Penguin sweater. He's, like, ready to go watch his team. And as he's walking into the stadium, fans are heckling him, telling him to sign Raphael Devers. They're calling him cheap. They're saying all this stuff to him. And then I think, like, four days later, Raphael Devers signed his contract. It, yeah, it, it's unbelievable, and and it was just crazy to think how those events, like how it was, in, it, they linked up pretty quickly. And I, I I don't want to think of it being that deep, but if there's like chance or something, or there's signs outside the stadium that are saying like, "Hey, you got to actually invest some money in this team," he's the type of guy that might take that to heart and maybe have some action behind his words. So I'm I think that's more the solution than just completely boycotting the team. I but, say I say Red Sox fans should go be the biggest. You know, Pittsburgh Penguins fans there ever were <laughs> chant at the at the games, you know, uh yeah. What what you uh, want, you uh, know. Let's go penguins chant would kind of be funny at Fenway Park. Oh, that would be that would be see that breakout. Great. That would be very ironic based on uh just you know, just kind of have that just to show that. But yeah, like you said, like I mean, fans are already kind of not showing up. I mean, the ticket prices are getting so insane. Like you mentioned, Astros fans are going out. I mean, did you see the crowd of Dodgers fans that went to the that went to the game? I mean, the, like all of Lansdowne was covered in Dodger blue. It was insane. It's a yeah. takeover. And it used to be it, it didn't used to be like that at Fenway. Sure, you'll get your tourists that come in and you know they enjoy the park, but it used to be that Red Sox Nation would pack out the park and not just that, they would travel and pack out other parks. You know, they would go to Washington DC or Anaheim or Texas, and you would have Red Sox fans all around the place going in and traveling well. That's not the case anymore. It's the up, it's the other way around where all these other fans are seeing Fenway Park as a tourist attraction, which it is, and yeah. they're just flocking there. And that's the frustrating thing because they have the ability to, you know, really, you know, they could have made the made the made the pitch to this team and to this fan base to say, hey, we're gonna put some money in this team, believe in us. And there were just so many times where they refused to do so. So, uh, Zeke, do you have any final final words? Uh, I would say my my final thoughts are just if you are the Red Sox, just try, <laughs> just just try. Well, let us let's go even the, a little bit. The bare minimum of professional sports. The bare minimum. Hey, just try your best. We guys, like, we didn't see that on good Monday. faith effort out. I mean, that's that's. That's all I ask at this point. And it's 
so sad that that's that's what I'm asking for. It's I mean, in 2023, attempt. I mean, just attempt to play the game of baseball. I mean, last year was last year was uh was difficult enough to watch based on what we had seen in 2021, but this year, man, is really starting to get on my nerves because you really they're still trying to you know sell the buy-in and being like, hey, September is going to be a crazy month. The rally is going to be unreal, and I I'm just so out on it at this point. So, uh, that's kind of what we have at least in MLB news, and uh, we're gonna finish this thing up now by going down to the wire. So. Um, Brian, real quick, what's if, up? If if you were to venture a guess, how much do you think that a bleacher ticket to see the one ticket to see the Red Sox is? Are, are we are we going like high or low here? Um, is is it? it let me guess, like thirty bucks, forty eight dollars. Oh my per god! Ticket. This is for the. Oh my god! Get the f out of here. This is for the uh, the game against the Orioles, our next home game. Oh, go f yourself. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Forty eight bucks per per ticket. Oh my Perfect. God. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Like the fact that th- the fact that that's their expectation, that's unreal. Don't even get me started on like the higher end tickets. No, they'll, they'll be against the Orioles against the Orioles. It's not even like, a, like at the Yankee game or some like big, like ticket thing. The Orioles, I know that they're at the top of the division, but the Baltimore Orioles, that's seriously what we're doing here. Yeah. Oh my God. Go F yourself. That's unbelievable. Some of the field box tickets are, grossly priced. I don't even want to hear him, but but please tell me. I because it's just gonna it's just gonna rile me up. Field box 41. So right uh pretty much like right behind home plate-ish. $314. Oh a my ticket. god. That's ridiculous. I I think my parents they 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 just went to a Giants game and uh there were tickets like in that area that was like 30 bucks. Yeah it's I mean, Fenway is. This is, is not what other ballparks are doing. It's, they're notoriously known to do this: drive up the ticket prices, and they still expect you to care when they have a middle of the league payroll. It's unbelievable. So, I mean, Zeke, thank, thank yeah, thanks, let's let's get down to the wire. Thank, thanks for help. Thanks for helping me end this show. Really freaking pissed off, but <laughs> we will go down to the wire. We'll talk about everything we discussed on the show today, Zeke. Thank you again for stopping in. It was great to have you on. Um, we discussed the New England Patriots cutting Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham as they get ready for the uh, start of the regular season. Um, we also discussed the O-line troubles this team is having, and uh, they are very present right now. It's going to be a very scary uh, week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they might just completely shred us right now. So it's looking pretty nerve-wracking with that. Um, we also discussed some college football news. Zeke led that uh, led that discussion. We also discussed the Florida Gators Swamp Kings documentary um, and gave some opinions on that. And then in MLB news, we talked about the Boston Red Sox uh, completely falling apart in the past week. They're now they now sit at seven and a half games out of the final wild card spot. Zeke, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So if you guys want to follow down to the wire, you can follow us at down dot to the wire on Instagram, where you'll find links to our Spotify, YouTube, and all of our social medias. Um, make sure to go give us a follow on there. Zeke, any parting words? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you are listening to this live on WJMF radio, uh, you know, you can listen to my broadcast of the Bryant football versus LIU game. That's going to be taking place September 9th at approximately 6 PM. Yeah. And especially WJMF radio. If you want to listen to us live, we, um, we'll at least be trying to do Fridays. Um, I know this is a Wednesday broadcast right now, but Wednesdays will be tougher when we get into the school year. But, um, you know, you can listen on WJMF uh, 88.7 HD2, Smithville, Providence, or online at WJMFradio.com. Uh, from down to the wire, though, I'm Brian Costa. And I'm Z Kransdorf. And we hope you guys enjoy the rest of your evening. 
Take care. Peace out. WJMF Radio.